everybody. Welcome to Nowhere to Run. Thanks for tuning in. However, it is that you found the show. I'm glad that you did. You can go to the website, which is nowheretorunradio.com, and there you can contact me and see all the different places and things that are going on with uh, the stuff that I'm doing. And the right sidebar there has a lot of information. You can also check out the video section, which um, I mentioned a lot in the audio that's that I'm going to be playing today. Basically, I'm going to play an, uh, about an hour-long audio that I just made as a response to an email that somebody asked me just like, it was 39 questions about what do I think about this? What do I think about that? And it just was a really good opportunity to answer a lot of questions that, you know, get asked by people. So that is what a majority of the show is going to be about. But I want, I've got a few other things to do, so it'll probably probably be a pretty long show. So first announcements and things. Um, hopefully more information on the Revelations Radio Network and the future of that. Uh, coming up shortly it looks like there's a possibility of rebuilding everything and if so it's probably going to be something that uh, I'm going to uh, take on as a project and hopefully uh, you know just you know keep it at the level that Frank was keeping it there I think it should be uh, a pretty challenging but pretty rewarding experience so I'm looking forward to that if, if indeed it's something that can be done so that's good news, and I'll have more information about that probably the next time that we talk. I've got a lot of shows and content coming up with this show and really thinking a lot about the different kinds of um, the way I'm going to try to do things. I'd really like to get to a place where I'm doing a show um, very regularly, like almost once a day or so, even if it's just a matter of saying things about the news. But in order to do that, I would need to set up some situation where people can post news stories on the website. So in the meantime, I'm thinking about maybe doing a newsletter type thing. The best way to sign up for the newsletter is to go to um, my website, nowheretorunradio.com, and at the top corner there's a little place where you can enter your email address. That's to sign up for um, updates on posts and things like that. And that would be a great way to go ahead and sign up for the newsletter, too, because it's a double opt-in type thing. So it's a great way to uh, to do that. Um, so that's what I would suggest for now. I'm also hoping, hoping to, while well, I do have a lot of interviews and, and things scheduled, uh, I've already recorded one, a simulcast with Dr. Future, and then I'm also going to have him on for on a separate topic about um, psychedelic drugs and things like that coming up. I'm going to be interviewing him tomorrow for that. There are other interviews in the works. I've got a really great, uh, it was going to be an interview, but it ended up being a really good audio from a friend, uh, a former medium, and they have a really amazing testimony, so that will be coming up also pretty soon. Other thing that I'm going to do before I get into the uh, the hour audio is talk quickly about the new video that I did. And this one was just taking an audio that I found in a podcast, um, and and it was it was I think I can't remember exactly why I downloaded this sermon or whatever, but it was somebody that came up and spoke before a church service, and I mentioned this on the Full Armor of God podcast that I played. It was just um, I think it was a fifteen or twenty minute talk. This guy was talking about his uh, work in uh, Papua New Guinea, but I. Edited that down to a less than 11 minute uh, audio so that I could put a video to it and get it in one uh, video on YouTube. 
And for those of you on this feed that may not have heard it, I'm going to play it really quick, and then I'm also going to post the embedded video on this post on the website. So here is this new audio from the new video entitled Amazing, I think it's Amazing, or Papua New Guinea Amazing Missionary Story. So here it is. Yeah, we've been, we have four kids, and we've been working as Bible translators in Papua New Guinea since 1988. That's when we went there for the first time. And um, um, we work for a people called the Dawala. And there's about 3,000 speakers of those um, in, in the southern mountains of Papua New Guinea. It's a very, very remote place. You can only get there by helicopter. The older folks, they still remember the days of cannibalism. And we still have caves filled with skulls in our area. These people, they, got, they were missionized. I want to say, not, not evangelized, but Christianized, so to speak. They were they're animists, that means they, they worship bush spirits and ancestor spirits. And then they had a very weird way, uh, a weird version of the gospel. It was, it's called the cargo cult, and it's widely spread in Melanesia. And uh, I think I can have time to tell the short story to say how it goes. The cargo cult is something, is uh, a misunderstood gospel mixed up with Melanesian legends and mythology. And what it basically says is Jesus Christ was born in Papua New Guinea in a, at a place called Bethlehem, but that's just a cover name for the real place, which is a village in Papua New Guinea. He grew up, he did a lot of good things, he helped people, he healed them, and he gave them food. But one day he was killed by accident, and... Uh, then he went underground for three days. And he was traveling underground. Don't ask me how, but that's how the story goes. And from time to time, he would poke out his head out of the ground and look around to see, to see if his enemies were, were still there or if, the, or if the air is clear. Well, if it wasn't good to come up, he went down again and did some more traveling. But everywhere where he poked up his head, that's where today we have the springs. So the living water is what, what comes from that. Um, after three days, he rose again, and he was piping mad at the people for killing him for no reason. So he deserted them, and he went to a place called Paradise. And Paradise is the world of the white man, which is, uh, well, it's, it's America, uh, Europe, Australia, and New Zealand. And it's all one place in their minds. It's, it's one local physical place. And so he went to Paradise, and there he gave the people the good news, the gospel, which is how to get cargo. And so it follows that nowadays all the white, the white people, we, have all the nice stuff, like cars and planes and TVs and whatnot, and the Papua New Guineans have nothing. But one day Jesus Christ will come back in power and glory and give them a lot of cargo. So that was the cargo cult. Anyways, um, so we were invited to come there to straighten that out and translate the Bible. And... We had an incredible introduction the very first night. And the very first morning, the witch doctor, of the, the main witch doctor, they have several, they have a hierarchy there. And the big guy, he showed up on our doorstep. We had a, a little a bush hut, um, grass hut where we lived in. And he could speak a little bit of English. So I was quite surprised. And he had two apostles with him, he called them. And he said, he's here to test me with a bush knife. A bush knife is a machete, about that long. And... Uh, I said, well, I'd rather forgo the testing. But he insisted. He insisted, and um, I didn't know what to do. So 
he started acting very strange and wielding the bush knife, always sort of pretending to hit me, or I don't know if he really tried and he just didn't, but I prayed and, and he, started, um, he started yelling in a, uh, in, in a language and, he, and I said, um, what, what's going on? And he says, well, the invisible man is, t- is going to wield the bush knife and he's going to test you. And I say, what, what do you mean, invisible man? He says, well, I have an invisible man with me all the time. He helps me to do my, my magic, and he will wield the bush knife, and he will talk to you. So it occurred to me this was some kind of uh, a demon possession. And at that moment, I said, I don't know, it just came to me to say, oh, that's interesting. I have an invisible man, too. He's right next to me all the time, and he helps me, too. His name's Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe. And when I said that, something amazing happened. It's, it's just the same story as in the gospel when Jesus said, it's me, and they fell back. The guy fell over, he was like pushed back, and he stumbled and started yelling at the top of his lungs, and I, I called him back, and I said, what, what are you saying? And he said, I don't know, the invisible man said that. And so he started his test, uh, wielding this bush knife at me, and after a while, he stopped, and he came up to me and said, okay, I know now, I have to call you my Lord. And then he disappeared. And I don't know if he said that to me, or if he said that to the Lord who was with me, but that's what he said, and then he went, he went away. And the people witnessed that, and they were extremely impressed. They thought uh, something's different with us, that this guy reacted to us in such a way. And anyway, so we started translating the Bible, and they were very helpful uh, from, the, from the beginning. And the cargo cult, as, they tra- as we translated, I didn't go preaching every day, but just as we translated, the people woke up and said, wow, the cargo cult's not right. I said, yeah, you got it. And... Uh, <clears throat> And it, it completely disappeared in our area. Well, it's still around on the outskirts, but in our village and neighboring villages, it's completely gone. And when we t- dedicated the New Testament uh, a couple of years ago, lots of things happened. The Lord showed his power in, in, in many different ways in those years that we've been there. And I, I could go on telling story after story like that of, of what the Lord has done. But when we had the dedication, um, there were representatives from each village from the from the witch doctors and they all came forward and they said on this day we want to start something new in our life we want to have that god of power in our life who gives us reason to live and we want to get rid of all these all these uh, all this magic and this worshiping of spirits and they brought all their uh, they're magical items, not books, but it reminded me of the story in Acts, you know, in uh, Acts 19, where they burned all those books. And uh, they burned their stuff that they used to do witchcraft and sorcery on an, on an altar and, and publicly announced that now they're going to follow Christ only. And that was, that was amazing. It was a surreal moment for us. One of the reasons, I often ask myself, why are the Dawahs so accepting of God and why are they so open? Because... We've been doing ministry and evangelism all our life. I mean, my wife and I, we started back when we were teenagers. We were out on the streets doing street evangelism, and we smuggled Bibles into Russia and all those things. We often had, we often, and often had the, the, the impression people aren't interested, and uh, they couldn't care less of what we had to say. And I found out that people aren't ready necessarily to receive the gospel. We were telling them Jesus loves them, but that doesn't matter. They say, well, so does my dog. And uh, it doesn't mean much. Yeah, if, you don't, if you hang the gospel somehow in a vacuum, it doesn't mean much. They have to know why the gospel is there and what, the, what it frees them from and what, it opens, what possibilities it opens to them. Well, the Dawahs had that. 
And that's why they were so receptive. And it came when we started to translate the word for God. God is always a critical word in translation because you never know what are you going to use. Going to use the English word or some of the local words. Well, we had a local word that we used, and it came from a legend. And the legend goes like this. Uh, in the beginning, there was Mamaitsua. Mamaitsua is a compound word of Mamai and Tua, which means birth-giving daddy. Not father, but it's the word for daddy. It's a very strange word, and it's, it's the highest and most powerful being in, in Dawa mythology, and it's the only being that is absolutely just and, and correct and good, and it's the being who made and created everything. And all the attributes of this Mamaitsua match exactly up with, with the God of the Bible. And uh, so the story goes that Mamaitsua made everything in the beginning. He made the world, and he made two people. Isn't that interesting? Uh, and he made a tree. And he planted the tree in the world, and the two people. And the tree, there was a, a, a rope hanging down from heaven that ended in that tree. And when the people wanted to connect with God, they would climb into the tree and then shimmy up the rope and be with God. And everything was good. At that time, there was no death or decay or sickness. There was always enough food. It was paradise. Well, one day, the two, the two people did something wrong. And God was very angry, and he cut the rope. Mamaitsua cut the rope. And from that day on, death entered the world, decay, anger, everything evil. And so the problem was that people could not reconnect to Mamaitsua anymore because he was the one who cut the rope. That's what, that meant he's the only one who was able to restore that rope or to restore that relationship again. You couldn't restore it with magic, what they did with other spirits. So when we uh, heard of that, we tried to tell that, you know, use that word Mamaitsua and introduce Jesus as Mamaitsua's son and suddenly a whole world opened for them. And they, this is the way back to Mamaitsua. And they were so ready to just accept that after we, we had made that connection, and it worked very well. I went back to Papua New Guinea just for six weeks to helping them on translation in the Old Testament. And, I, and uh, they were asking me and said, well, um, how are we going to print this? So we were talking about printing the Old, the Old Testament stuff that we translated. And by the way, they said, can you also print some more New Testaments for us? And I said, what do you mean? We still have tons of boxes sitting in our house in the village, and there's more at the center. I say, no, no, they're all sold out. And people are starting to copy them already and everything. And I said, what's going on? And they said, everything is sold out. The people are crazy about the New Testament. And little church groups and Bible studies have started in every hamlet and village because they, w they, they heard of what we had done, and they, they found out that from other Christians now that this book is the way to, to show them the way back to restore that relationship with Mamaitsua. You can pray for the Dawa people. There's something great going on there. They're very... Uh, very simple in their faith, but um, God is doing a lot of great things and really glorifying his name over there in Papua New Guinea. Okay, that was um, from Calvary Chapel, St. Petersburg, I believe, is where that came from, that audio. So you can contact them if you have any questions about that or need any more information. That guy was from Wycliffe. Um, Bible translators. Wycliffe is, it translates the Bible in, in all the languages that haven't had the Bible translated in it yet, and there's still thousands left. So they and they do really good work. They're pretty well known and very famous. Okay, so now as I said, I'm going to play this audio. This guy asked me about 29, 30, 39 or something like that questions. I didn't answer all of them, 
but I answered quite a lot of them, and, and it took about an hour. There's a lot of information in here about all kinds of different subjects. I'm probably wrong about, um, you know, quite a number of this stuff. It's just, you know, I'm just answering the questions as far as I see it. It doesn't mean that it's right. It's just sort of my opinion. So take a, take all these answers with a grain of salt. And um, so I hope that it helps somebody, and here you go. Bye. Okay, question one. You ask about sex. In parentheses, you put before marriage and or with different women. With different women is easy. The Bible talks very clearly about marriage being with one wife. There were people in the Old Testament that had more than one wife, but it's also clear that they did so against God's will, and they suffered for it. For example, David had many wives, and his life uh, was, his home life was terrible. His One of his children killed another one of his children. Uh, one of his children tried to uh, overthrow his kingdom, and he just had nothing but pain from his kids. It was a terrible, terrible home life. And David's lack of restraint in that regard was evidenced all through his life. So, And it was obviously one of the things that uh, he, he fell from with Bathsheba. So while there were multiple marriages in the Old Testament, it just is sort of reporting that they happened. Um, in the New Testament, it is clear that marriage is with one wife. Now, it, that kind of falls into the question about uh, premarital sex, and that's um, something that in one way is not explicitly addressed in the Bible. It never says, uh, it, it never defines fornication as premarital sex. Fornication seems to be just every kind of sexual immorality. I would submit that premarital sex falls into that category, at least the way that we think of it uh, now, it falls into the category of, uh, of, of fornication, although it's not explicitly mentioned. Um, the thing about it experientially is that I know that, for instance, people that are saved that maybe have had, you know, uh, a standard American sort of life lifestyle, they even still tried to um, continue that lifestyle after they were saved, but the Spirit started working in their lives and started changing them, and they eventually had to say, well, this isn't right. You know, the more that they were growing in the Lord, the more that uh, they realized that premarital sex was was, uh, was wrong. Uh, but it's not, I mean, but you can see by that example that uh, it's not something that you're, it, it's interesting because when it mentions things like that in the Bible, it's not saying you do these things and you go to hell. It's saying that people that are Christians won't do these things. It's a result of being a Christian, as I kind of mentioned. As you grow, you start to not want to do it. You start to feel like, that's not right. And that's the law being written on your heart. So I think premarital sex is wrong. And I think that uh, you would agree with me the more that you, the more that you uh, grow in, in the Christian life. The... Uh, other thing about that, though, is that the Bible seems to talk about this in terms of once you have sex, you become one flesh. In, f in fact, um, it says in a few verses here, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 20, I'll just read a, a few verses through this. It says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit uh, with him. 
flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And it's interesting what the Bible talks about in terms of sex. I think that it's something very interesting is happening with that union, and it is sort of becoming one flesh in a way that I don't think many of us fully understand, including myself. So uh, so I would say that if you don't let the devil make you feel really, really guilty, if you've had you know a lot of sex or something like that in the past, and, and you think, oh no, now I'm technically married to all these people or whatever, I, this isn't a guilt trip thing, because um, as I mentioned, this is something that the, the best remedy for is getting more of uh, Jesus in your life and letting him change your heart to where it's not even a, a question anymore. You know, all those old things or, or whatever are, are healed and in time and things like that. So just uh, just concentrate again on uh, on him, on Jesus Christ and, and letting him uh, take care of that. But don't let the devil put you on a big guilt trip on it uh, if you have been uh, promiscuous in that regard. Okay, number two, and we've got 39 of these, so I better speed it up. This is, again, sort of about, uh, the next few are about sex. You say, looking at hot women or girls. Now, this is kind of, falls into the same category. I certainly did a lot of this uh, for a long time, and um, it. I always found that it was very empty. Like, when I would just look at women as much as I wanted to and just soaked it all in, I found that it was the more empty I became. It was kind of a bad feeling at some point just to uh, lust over, you know, to to that degree. And I find that it's it's not something that you should do. Obviously, the um, uh, this is something that when it started, when I started becoming uh, closer in my walk with Christ, I started feeling that this wasn't right. And now, um, let's see if I can find the Bible verse here where he talks about this. And he says, you have heard it said that you should not commit adultery. But I say unto you, everyone that looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, this is interesting. When I first started feeling kind of interesting about this, I, I started thinking, okay, well, I'm not going to look, since sex is what what apparently he considers somebody's wife, I'm not going to look at anybody that has, is married or whatever. So that was kind of where I started. It's like, okay, I'm not going to look at anybody that's obviously married. And then it kind of became, well, okay, maybe I won't look at anybody that I think has ever had sex before. And then it was sort of like, you know, like I was trying to make a bargain with, uh, you know, who I could look at or whatever. But I started to notice something happening as I was kind of uh, denying myself to look uh, as, you know, at, at, at beautiful women or whatever. I started noticing something really good happening in my mind and in my body. I was becoming um, better in lots of different ways. And once I started really taking control of that, and, and really only very recently has have I really been noticing, um, it's been, you know, a, you know, quite a while now where I have, you know, I let, I, you can't help but seeing a beautiful woman at first. I mean, but let your eyes just sort of bounce off them and for your own good, for your own, uh, peace of mind and it really over time you start to it starts to make sense and now it's it's there's not as much pain for a while I was like letting my eyes bounce off and you know look somewhere else but I was really really wanting 
to continue looking. Uh, but now that really, really wanting has started to completely go away. And I feel much freer and I feel more like, you know, a human being and things are just really, really good. So, um, I just, I just couldn't recommend that enough to start to take control of that. And, and it's like, resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's going to be kind of hard at first, but if you keep at it and you keep turning away from it, then eventually those, that, that difficulty is going to, to leave you as well. So, and, and again, the benefits of it are unbelievably good. It's the way that we're supposed to be. We're not supposed to be filled with, uh, with this lust and things like that and, and giving it all this place in our lives. And you'll, you'll notice that it is definitely, uh, changing you. Okay. Number three, masturbation. Um, well, I think that I can't find a biblical, um, uh, prohib- uh, prohibition about it. There's one that people often try to get in the Old Testament where uh, God rebukes a guy for, quote, spilling his semen on the ground, or seed on the ground, and that is not a good proof text in my opinion because um, the reason that God was mad at that guy was because he was supposed to have a kid. He was supposed to, he wasn't supposed to n- to not have a kid. So that was really what the, what the issue there was. And, uh, um, you know, I think like anything else, it can become its own idol. It can become its own thing. But I think that, um, God, uh, made us the way he did, uh, knowing, uh, I I think that that was be a part of it. I think it's an important part of, um, you know, (laughs) life or whatever. So, uh, that's probably, quote me on that. Don't put that one on my tombstone. Uh, okay. So the, Number five, dreams. What are they? Well, um, they're, for the most part, I think natural reactions and, and, and chemical things that happen in your, in your brain. I think there's oftentimes very vivid dreams that are given of the Lord. I think that dreams can also be, um, influenced and given, if you will, by, uh, by Satan, by evil forces. I think people, people that when you wake up and you have a very, a dream that you know it wasn't a dream, those kinds of things. I think most often it's good. It's a good thing to pay attention to them. Don't don't make them, you know, big idols. Don't say that they're telling the future or anything like that. There's nothing mystical happening. But there is oftentimes uh, the Lord says that you know in the latter days He will. I'm going to get this wrong. Let the young men see visions and the old men dream dreams, or probably have that reversed. So you know, dreams are given. They're all throughout the Bible. Um, like Nebuchadnezzar was given information in dreams and different visions were different than dreams. People were given prophecies in dreams, in uh, visions, in dream visions. So, so yeah, they, they are definitely a way that uh, God and, um, you know, Satan can communicate with us. And I think that the best, that's where testing the spirits comes up. Does it match up with the Bible? Um, and these are the kinds of things you can ask yourself as to determine where uh, they're coming from. Uh, number four, uh, well, I actually skipped one in here. So number four is pleasure sex. Um, I think that sex in its correct context is a gift from God. I think that, um, God wants us to enjoy it in, in within the arena of, uh, marriage. Uh, it is, it is a very wonderful thing. Uh, quick, uh, quick, uh, verse about that comes from, 
uh, Proverbs 5, verses 17 through 23. Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated with her love. Why should uh, you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of his Lord, and he ponders all his paths. Um, so anyway, it goes it goes on. But and there's plenty of different places where um, you know this kind of thing is endorsed, and uh, not just for procreation, but as it says here, uh, uh, to fill you at all times with delight and to be intoxicated with her love. That's one time in the Bible that I can think of that it encourages intoxication, intoxication with her love, and in, in talking about um, you know sex. So I think that's a, a good. A good uh, verse for that. Okay, moving on. What should a human eat from Jesus's or God's perspective? Well, um, the shorter answer is just about anything from God's perspective. It says all things are clean uh, for to eat, but not all things are beneficial. I think a good rule of thumb, and, and this I don't want to put any yoke on anybody that uh, that. Uh, I think a good rule of thumb is sort of some of the Jewish dietary laws are, are probably there for a good reason. Like a lot of those old laws are really good. But that doesn't mean when somebody puts you know some sausage in front of me or, or whatever at a table or whatever that I won't eat it or whatever. I think that there is uh, that verse that says, I, this is just fascinating to me, that there is a um, the verse that talks about um, these things are sanctified through prayer. It's like when Paul is talking about how, you know, everything's clean, you know, for us to eat. Not all things are beneficial. And it's all sanctified through prayer anyway, basically. And I think that's a, that's what our biblical precedent for praying over our food is, is um, is those, those verses like that that you see, you know, in the admonition of things that were once unclean. But, the, but you know, I think that, like, for instance, pork, you know, there's there's issues there with trichinosis, you know, and other things that come from eating. And I think that there it is truly a, a, an unclean animal. It eats just about anything and, and all these kinds of things. So I think it's great to avoid that stuff, shellfish and, and these kinds of things. And I think one would lead a pretty healthy life uh, eating sort of a Jewish diet. But at the same time, don't let me put a yoke on you. I don't really do that uh, at all times. I think that, you know, granted... Um, Granted, there are tons of unhealthy things in the conspiracy world, and I do try to avoid fluoridated water, and um, you know, I try to eat organic when possible. And I'm, I'm, I have lately really tried to cut out wheat and sugar and things like that, and sort of the the. But that's for totally different reasons, and so those are just a few suggestions that I that I have. Uh, how should we protect ourselves if 50 soldiers are coming into our house to bring us to camps? Well, I don't know about you, but if 50 soldiers came into my house, there is very little that I could do about that. Even if I had a a gun in both hands, uh, the best case scenario there would be that, uh, from a, from a purely physical standpoint, would be that I would kill a few men, uh, what before they took me to the camps, or they might kill me after after I killed those men, and that I would never be taken to a camp. So you have essentially two options, three options there: kill people and still go to the camps, um, kill people and have yourself killed as well, or go to the camps. 
Or, let's say a fourth option, or God miraculously delivers you from it, as he's done so many times in the Bible with people in similar situations. I don't want to say to be a pacifist in this, but let's be honest, you're not going to you're not gonna win that fight, and uh, you're probably going to send people to hell by killing them, you know? I mean, there's a great chance that those people are not saved, and how would you like your last order of business in this world would be to commit an act of murder and send some poor guy to hell? Um you know, that's, that's not, to me, I, I would either, I would take the, the chance at the camps, evangelizing and helping in the camps, you know, uh, that would be the mission field that I would be called to is the way I would kind of see it. But the other thing is that God can deliver people from that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying you're only, well, you, listen, I am saying that your only hope in that situation is God, period. Either your time is, it's not your time and he's going to come and deliver you and say there are more with you, with you than, uh, you know, than with them kind of thing with the whole Elijah, Elisha type thing, or was it Elijah and the servant or maybe I can get in that wrong, but, um, that there's either going to be hosts of angels that are going to do some battle for you and help you, or, um, you know, you're going to go to the camps. I don't think, I don't think the other option is, uh, is, is valid. Okay, the next question was about how um, how do we know when the true Jesus is here? Um, the The way I would say that is that you, in a lot of ways, aren't going to miss it if you understand the Bible. I think in Revelation chapter 19, starting at around verse 11, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he sat upon him called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes are as flame fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had the name written that no man knew but he himself, and he was clothed in a vesture dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed upon him, white horses clothed in fine linen, and white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth the sharp sword, and with it he should smite the nations, and they shall rule them with a the rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the, fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture, vesture on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Um, this is, uh, this is something that is often overlooked in talking about the second return of Christ. He is coming to judge the wicked of the world, the world. That's the reason that Satan is doing everything that he can to prevent this is because this signifies his end. Now, I think that the false thing will be a, a smaller version of this. They're going to have, you know, some, some theme happening where one, Somebody comes on the clouds, you know, and and comes with many hosts or whatever, however they're going to do that. And it's going to appear to knock out, in my in my opinion, the the bad things of the world, the evil, the evil war causing or stop a war or whatever. And it will seem like this. But the important part is that it's something like that would not be big enough. This is talking about, I mean, absolute worldwide the armies of the world are going to go against this and try to prevent this coming of the Lord. Uh, there's going to be a huge thing. It's just going to be a very, very big time of judgment, not necessarily stopping worldly things. It will do that too because of the tremendous amount of judgment. So I would just, uh, I would, I would say that um, it's, 
it will have to be absolutely consistent with the Bible as far as the teachings should be going along with the Bible, not, hey, yes, I'm Jesus, but I was also Krishna and Buddha. None of that stuff will do. It, whoever this is will have to be word for word saying that the, Bi the Bible is literally true. And, and it can't just be a little true here and, oh, maybe we got it wrong here, but it has to be all the way true in order to fit. That's the main thing, is that whatever happens, the false thing will try to say that the Bible was not quite right because they're not going to be able to get this quite right. So uh, it's going to have to be changed, if you will, a little bit from their perspective. Um, you say, why are there so many religions? Uh, I answered this in a podcast not too long ago, but uh, basically it's uh, the that a lot of religions, instead of a lot of people believe that they're just different religions and different ways to God and things like that, I don't, I don't see it as, as very different at all. I see for the most part, when you at the core of why religions exist, is the issue of sin. A uh, Buddhist is trying to be enlightened, or in in order to get rid of their ego, and, and we can, and and not just their ego as we would think of it, but ego is defined basically as sin. Uh, is how that they, they would essentially define it, and that which they don't want to do, they do. And so the original sort of ideas in that were, you know, the ancient Greeks, for instance, would go uh, try to live in the mountains or whatever, and try to get away from society and the monks and everything. This, this is the idea that maybe if you left it all, maybe you wouldn't be tempted to do all these things. But the Greeks found out, you know, that didn't change anything. So they tried to do different things. Well, maybe if I try to, you know, beat myself, you know, it will it will punish the the desire to sin out of me, and nothing was working. And so. They just dropped it, the ancient Greeks. But like a lot of stuff like in Hinduism and in Buddhism, they added reincarnation to explain why it wasn't working, why the desire to sin wasn't wasn't going away. They said, well, it will go away if you just had enough lifetimes, but it's a long, long process. And so that is in a lot of ways, a lot of religions just try to explain away why it doesn't work. I mean, if Buddhism, if Hinduism really worked, then you would have a lot of people that no longer desired to sin anymore. That they, they would have a changed heart. That's what the goal of the religions is, is to deal with this original problem of Satan. And that's what I would submit also people like Michael Tassarian are trying to offer. Any true cult is trying to offer uh, that, uh, that, that thing. For example, Tassarian says that the reason why we have this ego, this problem, this infecting of our uh, you know, souls because is as trauma from genetic manipulation of an alien race, and, and anybody that knows Jasarian knows what I'm talking about. But that's essentially, if you look at what he's trying to do there, he's trying to come up with the same thing that all religions try to do: is explain why we have this sin problem. And of course, he his remedy for that is ridiculous and has a lot to do with practicing magic and stuff like that, which is just crazy. But the uh, the main thing is, is that's why we have a lot of religions because they're trying to deal with that. Now, the other part of that is that that religions that worship these little local pagan gods or deities and things like that, they do that a lot of times because they're afraid of them. Uh, and a really good example, and this is something that I've said before, but I just recently got a very tangible example from an audio that I found uh, online, and I posted it and just made a movie about it called um, An Amazing Papua New Guinea Amazing Missionary Story. 
I think that I've put it up on the video page of Nowhere to Run, but if not, you can find it on my YouTube page. And the the thing about that is is that they believe that there was a one true God that that was all just and knowing, but they lost a way to him. And that sort of tie had been severed. And in the meantime, they sort of worship these pagan gods to, 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 because they're afraid of them. And they know that they're not creator gods. They don't worship them in the same way. But they're just worshiping demons for, like, you know, because the demons will give them stuff. They will teach them this and show them what drugs to take. And, and these kinds of things are, uh, you know, what demons are happy to offer people. And that's what you see all across the board, people are worshiping these false gods, not because they're crazy, uh, not because they're just stupid, but because they're getting something out of it. Uh, they're at a high cost, mind you. What they're, the cost is the doorways that come in your life from worshiping demons open you up to the uh, demonic realm, uh, and their access to you is, is absolutely terrible. So it's it's not something that, that is a good thing, and in, in that, that's why I think a lot of them are so receptive to the power of the gospel, which frees them from that bondage and, and, and gets them connected to the one true creator God that they know about in their folklore, but and that's a great example of that in the um, in the video that I just posted. You'll see that they they actually had folklore legends of uh, uh, two people that this one true just God that created everything. He created them and he created a tree and there was a rope to God through that tree. But the two people did something bad and that rope was disconnected and now they can't uh, contact him anymore and uh, they don't have a way back to him. And that's why that we're so receptive of Jesus Christ as the son of of, of this God that uh, has restored that rope, essentially. And it was just a really beautiful story. So uh, you say, where can I get the original Bible? Uh, well, the original Bible is sort of... Um, you can be sure that that what's being written, whether it's in the King James Version or the, uh, you know, whatever, the NIV, ESV, they're all extremely close to the original writings. There are some very minor changes that probably could be better translated as something better, but none of those minor translations ha uh, change doctrine or anything like that. In my opinion, the closest uh, is some of... Anything from Textus Receptus, the King James type of uh, literature, the King James version is good. I do wish that there was, uh, you know, some of the, you know, just minor things that were wrong with that were updated. If if modern translations were using uh, Textus Receptus, I think they could do a really good job of that. But King James is what I consider uh, about as good as it gets. And this is the main thing. They're all so close that unless you're going to be really, really digging in and, and then fine details or whatever, n nobody would ever notice the difference between them. I mean, nothing changes. So the best Bible version is the one that you read. Uh, this particular individual, I think, may be from Romania or somewhere around there. Uh, just, uh, I'm sure, just find a the Romanian Bible that uses Textus Receptus, or maybe that was translated using the King James Version. I think that would probably be your best bet. But just find one that's easy to read for you, and that is going to be your best bet. Uh, the best Bible version is the one that you read. You say, dinosaurs, any thoughts? What I would recommend for this is... Um, a wonderful book uh, if called The Science of God by Gerald Schroeder. Gerald Schroeder was a nuclear physis prof physicist professor at MIT, a very, uh, very good school and a very technical school. 
to say the least. And he is a brilliant uh, physicist and wrote this book that is way technical. But he goes, there's a chapter in there called What About the Dinosaurs? And basically, without going into too much detail here, I don't know how long this is going to be. A, oh, well, it'll just be long. Um, the Without going into too much detail, it's basically that... Um, because the universe, when it started, because Einstein determined that the universe is expanding and slowing down at the same time, what that means is that, that you can calculate that at the beginning, it was going very fast as it was expanding. And we know the rate that it was slowing down based on the, the rate that it's slowing down now. We can determine at which points it was going uh, very fast. And the reason that is significant is because... Um, Mass and energy and all these things that make up the universe, uh, time is relative to the speed that they are moving. Because time is in itself not a thing. Time is relative to the mass and the rate of that mass. And this is best illustrated in places if you lived on Jupiter or let's say you could live on something the size of the sun, time really would go slower. This is an important key point to understanding the nature of the universe. If you lived on a body the size of the sun, you would actually experience life extremely slow. I, if we were just parallel, if I lived on the sun and I was eating an orange, that orange and me, as I ate it, would I would just perceive it as eating an orange. Uh, the orange was there, and I was eating it, and everything was good. Maybe five, ten minutes pass. But while those five or ten minutes pass, something like months or years or whatever would be passing on the Earth. We're exactly in the same places, in the same world. You know, time is only relative to to where you're at in relation to mass and speed. So what that means is essentially that orange on Jupiter was lasting for months and months and months, or years if not. One orange by our reckoning on Earth, was surviving way past its life expectancy. Do you see what I'm saying? That they, that time is relative. And so when people ask the age of the universe, a physicist would respond with the addendum, well, from the Earth's perspective. It's 15 billion years from the Earth's perspective. And that's a, a normal addendum that a physicist would use because they know that it would be relative to the place that you are in the universe taking the calculation of the age of the universe. What that means about dinosaurs is is that, first of all, Gerald Schroeder goes into a really interesting uh, mathematical discussion to show that the six days of creation, which would encompass many different things, let's say the, the sea and the life in the sea was created on one day, and another day, you know, different varied life in the sea and, 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 you know, starting to accumulate, you know, when one day animal life and all these things and another day, you know, human life and, and all these plants and all, you know, how the six days of creation progresses in, in a cycle that is very much like we understand the earth to have been created uh, from a scientific perspective. That actually was happening in a, this is important, a literal six day cycle. That means that, that the Earth could really rotate on one time, one revolution, but because of the speed that the universe was expanding at that point, within that one-day period, you would actually have enough time to... Time, as, it, as if you understand it the way that I explained it with the, the sun uh, illustration, 
that time would actually be going slower. That orange that I was perceiving was just an orange or, or whatever. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? It would actually be enough time to have billions of billions of years. The, the more, the faster it was going, the more that could happen per day and still be one revolution. So that six days uh, and all this stuff before Adam and all these things, they could happen. Uh, and there could be eons, if you would, within a day. But that's that doesn't make it a day equals an era because each day would be relative, would be different time frames, if you will. Like the first day and the second day wouldn't be the exact same amount of time. They would be decreasing slowly. And another important part of this is that time is measured differently before Adam. Uh, after Adam is when the six thousand, uh, the the six thousand, or, or excuse me, four. What is it like? Uh, uh, six thousand or so years. Uh, from Adam is, I can't remember exactly the number, but it's something like that, is measured differently than the time before Adam. It was There is a definite distinction in the Bible saying that, that the time before this and in, in the time after Adam are different. And uh, that's not a rationalization. As Gerald Schroeder goes on to point out, point out that's something within the text itself that you can dig out uh, that early commentators in the Bible like Maimonides and, uh, and etc were pointing that out way before there was any you know discussion of dinosaur bones or anything like that there were they were discussing that fact so I did a presentation on YouTube that sort of explains some of that at least the age of the universe part called um, Gerald Schroeder the Big Bang and it's on my YouTube account you can also go to my video section of my website which is nowhere to run radio.com and find that really quickly there okay you say universe what was it before god created the universe um well uh i i don't know i don't know what that was the bible is silent on that i'm not sure what was going on i don't think there's any way to tell i think any any guess that i would make would be um, probably wrong. So I'll just, uh, I'll just, uh, skip that one. You say earth, is it hollow or not? Now, in regards to the hollow earth theories, I'm not an expert. I haven't looked into it a great deal. Uh, I think some of that stuff has validity, although a lot of it seems to be based on hearsay and things like that. I think that the, that the earth is hollow. And the reason I think that is because of it seems to me that uh, there are two two types of what the Bible some what certain Bibles translate as hell. One of them is Gehenna, and one of them is Hades. And whenever Hades is spoken of, it seems to be geocentric, like literally in the center of the world. That's the way the Bible describes Hades, and. I think that, that that there's some validity to that. However, Gehenna is almost the opposite. It's the outer darkness. It's it's outside, it seems like, the earth in some darkness somewhere. So Gehenna and Hades are different, and Hades does seem to be geocentric. So if I was to put my money on it, I would say that there is a physical place within the earth uh, that is hollow, and that would be probably right there in the middle is, is where I would guess. So I think the earth is hollow. I don't think a lot of the stories and stuff like that are necessarily true. Although I think that there are huge caverns and undiscovered things like that where people have lived and the, the ancient sort of folklore about people living underground or stuff is probably based on some manner of truth, etc. 
but that you know for the most part no it's not it's not this sort of Jules Verne type thing civilizations how many were there and why uh and why did they disappear uh well that is kind of a broad question but this the civilizations i guess there were the ones that for the most part we we know of you know i think that um there were after noah the sumerians and all these things that that popped up after the flood is essentially what we see and have a lot of evidence for and we see all those civilizations talking about the flood. You can see that in a video that I did called uh, "The Epic of Gilgamesh and the Bible." And the and you can see that again on my YouTube page or go to my website for that. I think that's an important uh, thing to see. All that that it's actually an argument in favor of the Bible to see that all of these stories from all over the world that had no connection to one another, including you know this is blows the local flood idea out of the water that you know people in south america and the americas were talking about a flood and with the same characteristics of the flood that happened which evidences that they, that was actually uh really good uh memory of this event but to answer the question specifically uh i don't think that there i don't fall into the category of believing that there was this pre-adamite uh race of people that there was something before Adam as far as mankind goes. I think that angels clearly existed before that and that they probably had some sort of uh, culture, I guess if you could say that, that there was some sort of thing going on with angels before that and that they were clearly made before us and that they were around from very early on. So I think that's one of the things that Satan was sort of jealous about, you know, that uh, it seems that he created this man race that he had plans for and was superior in a lot of ways in the angelic race and in, in certain aspects. And it says, you know, at some point, know ye not that you will judge angels. So there's something that he has planned for humans that will, that will judge angels. That doesn't necessarily mean we'll be superior to them or whatever. But I think in some ways we are, we're going to be considered, you know, part of the, the family of uh, the great king, uh, God Almighty. And that's a really great inheritance that we as Christians have. Okay, you ask here, what about the people who do not know that Jesus and his, about Jesus and his teachings, are they going to hell? Uh, to that I would say no. The people that don't know about Jesus and his teachings are not going to hell. They're, they're judged um, apparently on a different sort of scale. But they do, they do have been given something in them, a, 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 a right and wrong, I guess you could say. It's explained a little bit in the first two chapters of Romans, which talks about this very thing. It says in verse 19 of, of chapter 1, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. So that verse seems to be saying that God has given something in each and every person that, uh, that, that what is known of God is in them somehow. And it says, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. So he's saying that you can you can understand God in some way. It says, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And essentially it's saying that the things that are made, creation itself is pouring forth speech about who God is. So they are without excuse, it says here. It says, being that... They which were that knew God and glorified Him not as God, that uh, n glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. In 
the book of Acts, chapter 17, it says in verse 29, For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold, silver, or stone, graven by art of man's device, and that the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness, by that man who he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. And Romans chapter 2 also speaks of this when it says in chapter 12, For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law, and as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience, conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the mean, while accusing or else excusing one another. In that day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So there is uh, a new game in town, and he has ordained a time to judge the world by uh, Jesus Christ according to his gospel. So the thing is, uh, that's that's the that's the way it is now. But the gospel is getting out to those people that, and many are hearing it every day. And I, it, a lot of people believe, but the time that it's preached to everyone is is when the Lord will come back. But that is uh, one view. So that's so essentially, no people that haven't heard it are not going to hell. Um, humans on on other planets or galaxies, they're experiencing the same thing like us, uh, that they are being deceived by Satan. Well, I think in order to go down that road, we would have to prove that there are humans on other galaxies. And I'm not saying that, that I'm against that idea. I'm just saying that the speculation in that regard would, you know, it's not it's not good for us to just assume that there are humans in other galaxies. The idea that people say, well, it would be a great waste of space if there, if, if all that space and we were on the only ones available. Um, I would say to that, I mean, certainly God, uh, can do that. I mean, he could, he could run all those games at the same time, but the, but the thing is, is that who are we to say that that's a great waste of space? You know, who's to say that, everything wasn't needed in order to create this or, you know, those kinds of advanced concepts is what I would submit. But I think that C.S. Lewis and, and things like Prelandra and some of the ideas that he kind of came up with as far as the possibility of life on other planets that not wouldn't necessarily have fallen, that might be living in that state, that pre-Adamic state, um, is a possibility. So it's not, it wouldn't be necessary if that was the case for them to have fallen, uh, like Adam and Eve, etc. So there could be all kinds of different variations of it, I would think. But I think that uh, Jesus Christ would be the central and only way for uh, for them as well. And I think that it's interesting the way it says that uh, the preaching of this gospel seems to be something that's done well after our, uh, you know, our glorification. It seems like, you know, he's going to use us to preach to. Uh, the angels, especially, and, and other things. It seems it's a little cryptic in the Bible, but I, I wouldn't doubt if there's some great work that needs to be done. And I'm not suggesting that we need to evangelize other planets, but I'm just saying that there's a broad range of of th possibilities that seem to be suggested there. And so I don't think it's at all 
insane to think that uh you know that Christ here on earth and his death and, and resurrection here have implications across far and wide the, the very scope of the universe 19 reincarnation um i think that reincarnation is untrue and that it is used it was used primarily to as i mentioned earlier to explain the reason why no one gets enlightened in uh in buddhism and hinduism it's sort of a a, a carrot on the string to keep them going uh, and to explain why it's not working is essentially what what's happening why why people spend their whole life trying to achieve enlightenment and simply don't and there's lots of different reasons i would submit that that is happening because they're trying to their ego is being built up with every uh with every step of their you know struggling to main, you know be spiritual they're making themselves to be prideful as well which is the exact opposite of trying to lose your ego and stuff like that so but there are many other reasons because it's plainly impossible without being regenerated without being given the holy spirit of god which then begins to change you despite your best efforts to mess it up uh, and eventually changing your heart to not want to do these types of things. So uh, that's the only difference. Even in Islam, they they have a version of this. You know, they they see and understand repentance and and, and you know turning from sins and these types of things. But there is no concept of uh, being changed, not wanting to do the sins anymore. I mean, it's sort of a given that you're just always going to be a sinful individual. Uh, but what happens in Christianity, what's totally different is the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit that changes you, that, uh, you know, you begin to be changed from the inside out, despite your, uh, you know, attempts, uh, even, and I would say, you know, of course you're trying to, uh, to live a holy life and to be free from sin and, and to do all these things. Uh, but, uh, you know, even that, that is hard to do just on a purely just religious sort of context. Uh, but it, it does happen because your nature has been changed from something that is corrupt into something that is uh, uncorrupted. Reincarnation, we talked about uh, the vibrational dispositives, good or bad. And you see I have a link there. I would uh, skip that for now. I think I know where we're going with that. I would say basically to it that... Um, it sounds like it would be just trying to say that the world is based on sort of vibrational frequencies and, you know, you can, uh, you know, change it based on your mind and things like that is probably what I would guess it's, it's talking about. And I would say it doesn't, um, it doesn't work. It, it, it's basically like the secret or something like that, just, or what the bleep do we know or whatever. I would check out some of the debunkings of that to, uh, see that it is not consistent with, uh, uh, you know, the, the physics that people think that, you know, the physics are talking are in favor of that, but they're very much not in favor of that. And I would submit that they're not really well understood. Those that are saying that, uh, you know, uh, particle or quantum physics and stuff are, are sort of an important part of that. But you see here, how can we fight this deception? Uh, and that would, that one I would just say to, as far as the, the deception and the truth movement and things like that, the best thing to do is to do it lovingly and to, uh, you can do certain things like I've done, try to, sh try to show different things that are wrong with certain teachers. There's way too many false, false teachers and false prophets and new age gurus out there for, uh, me to hit any, any, even scratch the surface on it. But for every new age guru, there's about, you know, they have a following of some sort. So if you find one and you can just go through their stuff and, and debunk them point by point, call it so-and-so debunked, 
and you will be sure to you know get a hold of those people and be able to minister to them. But I would submit to do it lovingly. It's easy, very, very easy, and very difficult to not go through that stuff and be just super like angry at the person because of the just way that they're lying about stuff and and everything. And you can see definitely in the in the early parts of my debunkings, it was all like that, you know. And I see that with other people that are doing it, just sort of a kind of it's it's very hard to kind of get the anger out of it. But I think that let the deception that they're doing give you a heart for the people rather than a uh uh dislike of the individual, although that's pretty difficult. What sh- how do we clean our food? Water. Mm, I would just suggest Berkey water filters for water uh, or any other similar water filter. Uh, when I pray, can I talk directly to God or is it obligatory to pray to God through Jesus? Well, um, I'd say, yes, you can talk to God. I know that a lot of people do talk to God, especially like before they're Christian and stuff like that. And God's obviously listening to them their whole lives, you know, get directed. But God will direct you to Jesus because that's the way that he's ordained to do it. God has done this through Christ. And so you can pray to God and I I will just submit that he is going to lead you to Christ um, through his Holy Spirit. That's kind of that's kind of the order in which he, he usually does it because uh, but I would submit that uh, Jesus says no one comes to the Father but through me. And I think that it's the reason is, is because we approach the throne of God based on the righteousness of Christ uh, if we are saved. Now, I'm t- speaking to the Christian right now. Uh, we come to the throne room of the, the, of the Almighty God, uh, and we stand before him as children uh, in the name of Christ. You know, we come to him because of Christ. We're praying uh, to God and he is listening and answering our prayers because we are children because of our the righteousness he sees in us in his son. Uh, and that and not our disobedience, not our righteousness, but his. So it is it is through that propitiation that uh, we come to, to to the Lord. So when people end prayers within Jesus's name, sometimes I think it's better to start it with. It's not a dogmatic thing. It's not don't put you in bondage or anything, but I think it helps to really understand what's at play there, that we are approaching the throne of God because of Christ and uh, that we are have access to this, you know, wonderful gift of prayer because of Christ. So it's a good thing to be able to approach God through Christ. Uh, but but that's n- but in your position, if you're you know not a Christian yet or, or still wondering about it, sure then talk to the God of the Bible if that's the way you want to talk to to it or whatever, uh, and he and he will lead you if you are diligent in prayer. Uh, he will lead you to Christ. I can guarantee you that. And a good thing to ask for is ask him what you should think about Christ. Ask him what you should do about Jesus, and that's and that's a great prayer to pray because he will lead you uh, to wherever you need to go at that point. Um, what about Romania? Is it a special place? Um, I'm sure that it is a special place. I don't really know anything. I haven't done a lot of research about it for any, in any particular thing. So I'll just have to pass on that one. What can we do against the soldiers? The blue, yellow, and red project. I think you may be referring to like the blue list, red lists, and these types of things about martial law and the soldiers and all this stuff. I would say that, um, that if you're going to go to a camp, let it be because you are dangerous in terms of the kingdom of heaven. You know, let your let your danger be to Satan. And if they're going to take you somewhere 
and they're going to kill you or whatever, let it be for something that is worth something. Not Don't let it be because you have food stored up or because you know about the Federal Reserve or whatever. Just do it for the stuff that, like Peter was talking about it, and in, 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 I guess it's First Peter, you know, that let be blameless, you know. That's where the effect of, of this kind of thing really gets to people is when they're arresting you because you didn't, you didn't do anything because you're preaching the gospel. Those people that, you know, and the voice of the martyrs and persecution.net, all that stuff that talk about, uh, you know, that there's laws in, in certain countries, Muslim countries, Hindu, uh, Hindu, uh, countries where you're laws against preaching the gospel, laws against the conversion, people being put to death for, you know, conversion laws and stuff like that. That, that's a good thing to, to go to the gallows for. And, you know, Many people have marched to a cross in which they were going to be burned alive uh, and crucified, or both, um, singing because of that honor. Now, I'm not saying that we should be just totally uh, giving up to any any kind of you know thing. Be prudent. Look, the the longer you can stay alive, the more good that you can do. But I would say that uh, it is. And being prudent includes defending your family. Um, it includes these types of things. And so I think that there is a fine line that needs to be drawn there that, uh, you know, if somebody's going to, you know, come into your family, you know, break into your house and do some harm or whatever, you know, you've got to, you've got to take care of that. And if, and I, I will just leave that up to you how that works out, but, and, and God. And but I would say that uh, don't let your guns or your ideas about that or your your views on you know patriotism or freedom and all these sorts of things be you know your idol in a lot of ways. Don't let it be the thing that uh, that your trust is in your guns, your trust is in your food that you have stored up or whatever. Uh, God is sufficient to take care of you, and I think the more that you step out in faith, the more the book of Acts starts happening in your life. You know, the more the Old Testament starts being a real thing, that God performs miracles and stuff like this. Um, he's not going to perform miracles in a place that nobody believes that miracles can be uh, performed, like he did in his town of Nazareth. He's like, uh, you know, no miracles were performed here because you guys didn't even believe that it could be done. And that's why miracles and crazy miracles are being done in, you know, places like Africa and and just all across the 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 world, uh, because they are believing like children, and we will get there again. I think because of a lot of the bad stuff that's going to happen. But it says that all things work together for good that lo- those that love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. And listen, that's something that's for real. I've certainly had to think about that a lot. The last few days, I've had a lot of uh, trouble going. You know, a lot of trouble, and life has been hard and stuff like that. And I think, you know, this is got to be that that verse still exists you know all things work together for good all things yeah all things some things no all things so this must be in some way growing my character you know giving me something that i can help to minister people to uh keeping me occupied so i don't get into some other type of trouble or any various things i mean i just have to have faith in that regard that yeah all things even this thing and that life is sometimes uh, going to throw you lemons. And uh, you've got to figure out where some water and some sugar is and to make some lemonade out of it. Okay, so 
what how can we fight this thing deception and NWO should we fight it who knows the real truth I'd say the people that know the real truth can be defined by those that take the Bible seriously and literally those are going to be the enemies of the world when this all comes down to it the real truth if you want to know it it's in the Bible you get a good working knowledge of the Bible start listening to commentaries on the Bible. Uh, I recommend David Guzik. He's got a lot of stuff out there. Other people, if you go to versebyversebibleteaching.com, there's a lot of links on our website there that uh, that other people that are teaching the Bible. Chuck Missler, obviously, I really like a lot. The, the, the things about that is if you get if solidly understanding the Bible, it's going to be very hard for people to pull one past you. You're going to be, because you have uh, a filter that's being built up. It's like, well, this is not matching up with the Bible, so something must be wrong here. Let me check into it. And don't be afraid to check into it. If you find something that seems to be, hey, that doesn't match up with the Bible, go investigate it, you know, till it's till it's done and investigated. Uh, you will find that the Bible wins every time. I think Martin Luther said, the Bible doesn't need me to defend it. You, if the Bible is like a lion. You can just let it loose and it will defend itself. Um, okay. What if I pretend to worship Satan just to stay alive? Is it a good? Is it good or bad? Um, well, I don't think that there's going to be that option. I think Satan is going to have a system set up to where if you take the mark, ye, there isn't any pretending about it. The mark will make you worship Satan. It's not. I got the mark, but you know I'm not really into it. Nope. Satan is not uh, not one to take chances like that. He in his system, um, are very thorough, and especially when it comes to something, this is the end game for him. You know, it was all about getting you to worship him. Everything, the whole New World Order system is about getting people to worship him. Everything is just a part of that one thing. So when it comes down to getting the mark that I think is going to force people to worship him, he's not taking any chances, and you shouldn't either. The reason why God says don't take the mark is not because he says, well, don't take the mark because, uh, you know, then you might worship him. He's like, don't take the mark because you're not going to, because you're going to worship him if you do. Um, it's the way I see it anyway. So resist the mark of the beast, whatever it may uh, be. And I would submit it's going to be something in your right hand or forehead, a physical thing that will have something to do with buying and selling, whether that's a chip or not, I don't know, but it will be some sort of technology, in my opinion, that acts uh, similarly to what the Holy Spirit does. It's in, in a lot of ways the counterfeit Holy Spirit. Um, so, okay. Homeopathy. Um, I don't know a whole lot about it, but I know that there are, that it's, it, it seems, it seems really, really new agey and wrong to me. Now, when I'm trying to find a good doctor like that, I look for a good nutritionist that's a medical doctor as well. Somebody that's trying, a good uh, term is vitamin therapy. Look around for people that are trying to treat diseases with vitamin therapy because most of the stuff that you're getting or out there probably has some to, something to do with a lack of other types of vitamins and things like that. Obviously, that's not always the case. Homeopathy, in my opinion, is not the way to go. That is, and I think it, at some level, uh, very, very bad. Not everyone or whatever, but I, I, when I looked through the homeopathy stuff, when I was looking for doctors and stuff, I was like, wrong, wrong, this is not good, this is all wrong. And um, anyway, but, uh, you know, I could be corrected on that. Natural supplements, obviously, I, I think that that's important. How can we detox our body? Uh, I think there's lots of different ways. Um 
there's a really good diet uh, by a guy named Asa Andrews online that is a it's a sort of a course of just things that you eat. It's all really interesting. The things that he has, like this week you can only eat this, and this week you only eat that, and it's a really really interesting detox type thing. And uh, you lose a ton of weight on it. Um, uh, I mean, we're talking a lot of weight. Most of that has to do because it's very low, well, completely low on 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 wheat and things like uh, sugar. So those two things alone will cause you to dramatically lose weight if you can cut those out. But it also has just an, it's an interesting list. His name is Asa Andrews, A S A Andrews, and there's a there's probably something online about this diet that he has. You say Christianity is a religion or a way of life? I don't like the notion of religion. I think Christianity should be seen as a way of how a human being should behave, should live their life or not. Just asking. Um, I would say no. I don't think Christianity is a set of rules about how to live your life. The important thing that you should realize about Christianity is you have you don't make a decision to become a Christian, an intellectual decision. I mean, that's a great thing to do. Uh, just to realize that Jesus was true and to believe that he uh, died on the cross for your sins. But the important part of that is that you need to be saved. God does something to you, um, and He and, and it changes your heart. Now, it may not happen in this big fireworks situation where, you know, God does something and you're like, oh my gosh, something just happened. You know, a lot of people's stories are not like that. They're not they're not like these big fireworks moments where God saves you. But when you truly repent and you truly believe, when you say, you know what, I'm going to stop living life this way and I'm going to trust God and I'm going to follow him and he's my boss and that's the way it is. And you start, you know, you start trying to resist temptation really seriously and you start walking towards him and you repent like that. He will honor that. God will rewards that diligent and you, diligency and you will notice that you're saved because you will start to see the th- types of things that I'm talking about. You, you will start to all of a sudden start changing. You don't want to do these things anymore. What's happening to me? Am I, you know, I don't, I no longer can, I'm I'm not able to cuss like I used to. I don't, I feel like weird when I cuss or, or, you know, I don't really want, I, I'm, I'm stopping. I, I'm feeling like I really should stop uh, doing this thing or that thing. And you start to notice you're being changed. Then that's it, man. You've been saved. And that's what I'm talking about. God does something to you after you repent, after you believe. So, um, so that's that's really that's what I would say about that. That it's not so much about you following rules, living a good life. That's religion, to me. That's what a lot of people are doing in every religion. That, you know, every religion could be described as living a good life, or you know, some rules about that. Christianity is different because God creates out of you something totally different. Uh, that makes you want to do, to do good, that writes the law in your hearts. Um, do you really believe that other planets, it's not possible that they're humans? Why is the universe so big then? Uh, we kind of covered that. Uh, um, I'm a pro athlete. I want to be a champion. I train very hard for that. Is that a bad thing? No, I don't guess it's a bad thing. Uh, sometimes, though, people have very like a uh, like a kind of thing where they say, "I am going to be this, and if I'm not this, then I will so- somehow blame God, or this is the thing that I have to do, or I won't be happy in my life, or those kinds of extreme versions of your goals." It could be like a goal about, "I want to live on a house by the beach, and if I don't live in that house by the beach, I'm just going to just throw it all away." Um, it could be some those kind of things are idols, and you can expect God to take it away from you. 
It, anything that comes between you and him, he he will ask you to lay it down. And if you don't lay it down, he'll take it from you. Um, because And that's a good thing. Don't feel like that God's being mean from that. He's doing exactly what is needed to happen. Uh, to And he might give it back to you. That's the thing. But it's just the way that we perceive it. There's nothing wrong, obviously, with anybody's ambition in those in those kinds of things. If you have talent, you want to do it. It's something that your heart is is really wanting to do. That's fine. But but if it's something that is so big in your life, so so important that nothing can get in the way of it, you can be sure that God will deal with it in one way or another. And uh, so it's best to sort of give it to Him at, at first. You know, say it's yours. I want you more than I want this. And that's and that is just about that is just about all the questions. So uh, I hope this helps, and I hope this helps other people out there. If you have any questions like this or anything else, you can email me at nowhere to run nineteen eighty four at gmail dot com, or you can go to my website, which is nowhere to run radio dot com, and there you can do lots of different things. You can see, like I mentioned, the videos that uh, you can hit the videos tab and see all the videos that I may have mentioned in this podcast. You can email me. You can also sign up to receive email notifications for new posts. You can sign up for subscribing on iTunes and um, just do a lot of different things like that. So hope to see you there.